Anyway, all right, we are in Matthew, the eighth chapter. Uh, we just finished reading the story about the uh, centurion who had come to Jesus, uh, concerned about his sick servant. And Jesus said, well, if you want, I'll come heal him. And the centurion said, no, no, you don't need to do that, because I know who you are. I'm a man of authority. All I got to do is speak, and people jump. And uh, you don't need to come. You just need to speak the word, and my servant will be healed. And we talked about that. And it was a very, very powerful message about how this guy understood. And Jesus stopped and said, wow, of all the people he'd met. And this guy, as far as we know, as a Roman centurion, was obviously not Jewish. But yet this guy, a Gentile, understood more about faith than anybody else he'd run to in, in, uh, in Israel. And uh, what was great about the centurion is he understood that the power of Jesus was not based on the physical presence of Jesus. Nice to have, wouldn't it be great if Jesus was right here, it'd be awesome, right? But, uh, but that's not where the power of God was. He also realized that the power of God was not based on holy surroundings. You don't have to be in a church building uh, to experience the presence of God. Now, obviously, it's wonderful when we all gather together and we sing and the presence of God comes and stuff, but it's, God is not limited by any of that stuff. This centurion knew that the only thing that was required was Jesus to say it and it would happen. Something that we all need to get to understand in our own hearts. The power of God's word, standing on God's word, being able to speak God's word, and knowing that that releases the power of God. So anyway, that was, we just left off on that. And then we continue. Verse 14, chapter 8. Uh, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. Now, I kind of, oh, Peter had a mother-in-law. Apparently. Now, there's some debate because, you know, some people think that all the apostles were celibate and didn't have wives, which is not true. Um, even Paul, who was himself celibate, wrote in his epistle that some of the apostles did have wives. Um, we don't know anything about it. There was no record of it. We, don't, we do know that for hundreds, it was hundreds of years later, even in the Catholic Church, the early popes and everybody all had wives and children and stuff. It wasn't until hundreds of years later in Christianity that they made a decision that they thought that marriage was incompatible with the ministry. So they changed the rules and then, of course, they stayed celibate. Martin Luther came along and said, oh, you're all crazy, and married a nun. And uh, <laughs> good old Martin Luther, you know. And uh, they had a bunch of kids. And uh, um, so, you know, that's one of the big differences between Catholics and Protestants. Obviously, we're Protestant. But uh, we, we don't know. You know, apparently Peter ha was married. Now, was, was his wife still alive at this time? Uh, we don't know. Uh, a lot of people died early in those days. 2,000 years ago, you could get a really bad cough and die of a cough. I mean, you know, before they didn't have the kind of medicine that we had. Uh, so we don't know anything. It's a little frustrating, to be honest with you. When you read the New Testament, is there's so many questions you have about these people. And uh, it doesn't tell us anything about these people. Uh, just very little tiny bits and pieces. But if you stop and think about it, it's perfectly appropriate because this ain't about Peter. This isn't about these people. This is about Jesus. 
This is about God. All the focus was on the kingdom of God. All their peripheral stuff that we're all interested in, you know. Everybody always wants to know the behind the scenes stories, you know. You can't even watch American Idol without hearing their life story behind the scenes before they come out and sing. Everybody's got their, all their stories, you know, behind. Uh, well, the Bible just really didn't spend any time on any of that. So uh, all we know is that he comes in. The mother-in-law is lying in bed with a fever. Jesus touched her hand, the Bible says, and the fever left her. And she got, got, got up and began to wait on him. When the evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. This was the prophecy about the Messiah that was to come, saying that he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew was pointing out the fact that Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures, the prophecies about the Messiah. That's one of the main things that Matthew kept doing, is quoting some of the Old Testament prophecies showing that Jesus fulfilled that. He was, in fact, the, the chosen one of God that had been spoken of centuries before. One thing we also notice, and we keep seeing over and over again, is that Jesus healed people. Uh, everywhere he went, he healed people. And it didn't just stop with Jesus. When the apostles went and the disciples went, one of the signs of Christianity has always been that God answers prayer and that he heals people. God does not want you to be sick. God wants you to be well. So well, then why are some people sick? Well, that's a whole other dozen sermons on. But most of it pretty much boils down to is, you know, I mean, the truth of the matter is we just need more faith. I mean, including me. Or sometimes there are tests. You know, we talked about that last week, you know. Uh, but we do know it's God's will. His best for you is his desire for you is to be well. You can pray. When you pray and trust God to heal you, be assured he wants to heal you. And that's the, one of the signs of, of the Christian message. So continuing on. Then when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. He was so moved by the Sermon on the Mount that he'd heard, the teachings of Jesus, seeing the miracles. He says, I, I will follow you anywhere. And Jesus turns to him and he says, You know, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What is he talking about? Obviously, he spoke into this. The thing with Jesus, the Bible says he always knew people's thoughts. He could hear what they were thinking, obviously being the son of God. It was quite amazing. Uh, and he knew what was going on inside of people. This guy clearly wasn't counting the cost. He probably thought, this is going to be great, traveling with Jesus. And here's a guy who's, come, you know, accustomed to a certain degree of comfort, shall we say, someone like myself. But uh, anyway. My idea of camping is, you know, the top floor of the Hilton. Um, but here's a guy who, you know, obviously when Jesus turned to him and said this, it probably stung a bit because it's probably a guy hadn't thought it through. This is not a comfortable life. We don't know if the guy kept following, but we do know that Jesus turned and gave him a fairly strong response. Another disciple, verse 21, says to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Uh, but Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, it's amazing as you study these things and you look into it and you read all the, you know, theologians and all the different, you know, books on, on all these things. It's, it's striking how many people are trying to explain away what Jesus said here. Virtually any commentary 
that you will read is, tries to explain that he didn't really mean this. Uh, and maybe they're all right, you know, I don't know. I tend to think that he meant exactly what he said. He said, well, why would he say something so harsh to him? I don't know. You know, these, and I think the reason they, they struggle with this is because they think that, you know, this sets the standard for everybody. And I think that's the mistake that they're making. It wasn't the standard for everybody. God often speaks to people in different ways. One guy comes to Jesus, we'll see later. Lord, I'll, I want to follow you. And, uh, and he says, well, if you want to follow me, you have to go sell everything you own. And then come and follow me. And the guy just went away sorrowful. Well, now that was not standard to everybody, or it would have been ensconced in Christianity. It would have become part of, uh, you know, Christian orthodoxy, that before you can become a Christian, you have to pray, you have to be baptized, and all of you would have to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow Jesus. Uh, many of us, I'm sure, would do that if that was actually required. A lot of y'all wouldn't be here this morning. <laughs> I joined that church, man. Too expensive. Uh, you know, those sorts of things. But clearly, he spoke that to that guy because he was so in love with his money and stuff like that. It wouldn't surprise me that this is a guy who, you know, is probably very super attached to his family. And Jesus knew that. Some people are unhealthily attached to their families. Have you ever seen that? You know, uh, now you're supposed to love your family. The Bible says you should respect and honor your father and mother. When the Bible said honor your father and mother, he wasn't talking to children. We often quote that to little children. He was talking to adults. Jesus later rebukes the Pharisees because they weren't doing this and encouraging this. These were adults' commands. Honor your father and mother. You need to honor your parents. Yeah, even when you're 40, 50 years old, you still need to honor and respect them, even though they might drive you crazy, as is often the case. I speak from experience. And uh, so, and now I'm doing that to my children. <laughs> I'm torturing them. It's wonderful. It brings me such joy to my soul. I keep telling Ross, I'm looking forward to getting really, really, really old and moving in with him. <laughs> he says, no! It's hilarious that nobody wants to own me, you know. I said, someday, Ross, I'm going to be yelling, Ross, I'm done. <laughs> think it through, think it through. But anyway, <laughs> but we are to honor our parents, right? It's clear. We're supposed to honor and respect them, though they might test us. We've got we to be careful. There is a line you can cross. Well, you can be very disrespectful to your parents, and it can be a real challenge to respect people who at times can highly challenge and irritate you, okay? Having said that, there's that healthy part of respect. Then there are people that, you know, they're still tied to their mother's umbilical cords. You know, they're just, you know, mommy this, mommy that, you know, grown men who are still more driven by every woman concerned of their mothers than anybody else in their lives. If you're a wife, don't yell amen. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, so there's, there's some people, they're, they're unhealthy with this. So we don't know this situation. My guess is this was exactly as harsh as it sounds. Certainly it's the context. The context is people come into Jesus, Jesus turn around and slap him upside the head a little bit and say, hey, 
You know, so I, I, don't, I, don't think, now this, I don't think this is a standard for all of Christianity. I don't think we're all forbidden to go to our parents' funerals. That's not what this was. I don't know what was going on. I don't know. Neither do you. Nobody, you know. But uh, the point was, whatever the context, it was a strong reply. We know this for sure. Which just points out the fact that as loving and compassionate as Jesus was, he was no wuss. And he was not afraid to challenge people. He oftentimes challenged people in sometimes very uncomfortable ways. This idea that Jesus, the whole idea of Jesus is, she's sitting over, oh, I hope everybody believes in me. Please believe in me. Please believe me. Oh, if you just about to do everything you want, if you just, you know, like some, you know, insecure woman who just do anything to be loved by a man. Somebody say amen. And don't be like that if you're such a woman. By the way, you don't need a man to make you happy. You single women hearing me? You don't need a man to make you happy. Now, if you can find a man and you guys want to do life together, great. But chances are, in the best of marriages, he will make you unhappy. <laughs> Again, do not say amen, ladies, okay? But uh, Jesus, you know, Jesus is not up there, oh, I hope somebody loves me, I hope somebody wants me. Oh, that is not Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. And when he came, he came in strength and power and great confidence. This is the one we just read. If your eyes offend and you pluck it out of your head, having a problem with your hand, cut it off. It wasn't all just hugs and kisses. He would challenge people in the strongest ways. Say, well, he wouldn't do this to, to their family. Yes, he would. And we know that he did. When he came to the other disciples, the first ones that he called, the apostles said, come and follow me. The Bible said they left everything went with them. We read that in Matthew. He, he came to the sons of Zebedee. They're in the boat with their father, the Bible says. Jesus said, follow me. And the Bible says, immediately they left the nets, the boat, and their father. Now, I don't know about you. My guess is father would have been very ticked. <laughs> don't you think? They're not out there, you know, practicing ballet. They're working. And they're working, and the old man's probably, hey, go over there, pull that over there. We've got to get this. And all of a sudden, some guy walks up, and they take off. <laughs> hey! Where are you going? Goes home, tells his wife. She says, where's the kids? I don't know. They just left. What'd you say to him? I didn't say anything! It's <laughs> <laughs> you know, always the guy's fault. You know, what'd you say? I didn't say anything! They just took off. Why would he do so? I don't know. Listen, sometimes God will call you often. I shouldn't say sometimes. You pretty much can take it to the bank. God is going to call on you to do stuff you don't want to do. It's called learning to surrender, learning to let go. You say, well, is there anything wrong with me having or wanting to do this? Oftentimes not. But for you, he wants you to let it go. Why? Because you're hanging on to it so tight. I promise you, you want to keep very loose grip on all the stuff in your life. Because the minute you start really hanging on to something, you can pretty much bank. God's going to come try and rip that thing out of your hand and tell you to let go. There's nothing wrong with having it. It's one thing to have things, but oftentimes things have us. And he will not tolerate that. He said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So anyway, this is just the beginning. You know, we're just in chapter 8 here. I mean, Jesus called to these people, 
and his people followed him oftentimes was very strong and very direct. And I think he meant exactly what he says here, and I think it probably shocked the guy in all likeliness, likelihood he turned away. And uh, this happened a lot. So anyway, but take your own version of it. Certainly the context is strong responses. Then Jesus goes, now remember, uh, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. So as he's going, all these people are coming up to him, and he's basically turned around telling him pretty strong responses. So then in verse 23, he gets to the boat, he gets into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Now suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus replies, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? What? I'll tell you why we're afraid. <laughs> we're going to drown. Now you have to put this in context. These are grown men. Most of them had spent their entire lives on boats fishing. These weren't girly men weekend boaters like myself. Okay? These, you know, for them to be afraid? You know, sometimes, you know, just being out on the water in a storm will, just thunderstorm will freak the willies out of you. <laughs> Remember last year I was out right on the water, zero percent chance of rain. Zero percent chance. Now, I'm always, I'm always checking the weather, right? But not when it's zero percent chance, because that means there's no chance <laughs> that it's going to rain. So I'm not paying. We're out there just floating around. All of a sudden, my wife looks off and this is, she says, What's that? And I looked over and says, I don't know, it's clouds, I guess. Because there's zero percent chance of rain. All of a sudden, this thing swings in. <laughs> Felt like Gilligan on, you know. Stupid zero percent chance. <laughs> we still laugh about that. Every time we say zero percent chance of rain, we say, be careful. There is no way anything's going to happen today, so you watch it, you know. There's a lot of lessons in that story. Oh, my goodness. Just when you think nothing's going to happen, hoochie mama, something happens. You know what I'm saying? Just when you think you got it made. I got no more words. I'm floating. Man, when things get real comfortable, I get nervous now. I just, oh, man, what's going to happen now? Now, this has to be a serious storm for these guys who spent all their lives in boats and on the water. This was no little storm. They were afraid for their lives. The Bible says Jesus is sleeping. Now, you know, I, I don't know if he's really sleeping or if he's pretend sleeping. <laughs> because the Bible says water splashing over the boat and coming into the boat. Well, now, these are little boats. I mean, it's not like he's up on the Lido deck napping while the storm is going on, on a Caribbean cruise. They're not very big boats. I don't know. If you've got 12, 30, 15 people on that boat, it's probably got to be packed. I don't even worry sleeping. He's sleeping on the Water has to be coming in. If I'm sleeping, I don't care how tired I am, if I'm sleeping, all of a sudden cold water's coming down my back, I'm pretty wide awake. <laughs> so I don't know if he's fake sleeping, or maybe he's really that tired. I don't know. He's, he's probably sitting there going, <laughs> and, and watching them freak out. 
So they wake him up. He gets up. He's, he yells at him. Again, we get this idea that Jesus is just, oh, please, please believe in me. I'm a little puppy. Take me home, you know. Like you go by those little pet shops and those little puppies. Oh, that's not Jesus. He got somebody else and said, why, why are you guys afraid? You don't have any faith. Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves. Said, knock it off. And the Bible says, it all stops. Whoa, that had to be very cool. And the men were amazed, the Bible says. You think? They were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, what was the message of Jesus? Our whole focus here is we're looking at the math, book of Matthew to find the message of Jesus. Is the message of Jesus, I can calm the storm? It's not. The message of Jesus was, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? You do not have to. They're choir members. They're not mad. Just <laughs> What did he say? He ticked them off. You know. The message of Jesus was, why are you freaking out? Stay calm. Stay calm. I know whenever we're going through trials and tribulations in our lives and we're having real things are going wrong and we're praying, God, calm the storm, calm the storm. Why doesn't God calm the storm? Because what God really wants you to do is to be calm in the middle of the storm. Calm in the storm is easy, easy to have faith when everything stops. And everything's calm. Now, is he capable of calming the storm in your life? Yes, he is. And he will, but I contend that it's virtually impossible until you get calm. You cannot walk around in fear. There are people that life just freaks them out. They're afraid of everything. Everything in life scares them. Everything. There's a hope. A lot of y'all, you live your life totally in fear. You do and live your life in the way that is most least fearful to you. You don't want to do this because you're afraid of that. You won't do this. You're afraid of that. You won't try that. You're afraid of that. You're, so you just stay in the one little place in life and you never risk anything. And I just, oh man, I, all my life, I've seen people like that. And I was, I'd never want to live like that. I don't live that way. Constantly afraid of everything. And then when life starts going wrong, they're just filled with fear. They can't pray. They can't trust God. They're kind of, their idea of asking for prayers, they're crying and screaming and freaking and panicking. You can't get a miracle through crying, freaking, and panicking. If you could, everybody would get miracles because that's what everybody does. Everybody freaks and panics and cries. You'll find the people who experience the most miracles and answers of prayers in life are the ones who do not freak, panic, and cry. These are the people who have learned to sleep in the middle of the storm. People, have, when everything's rocking and running, water splashing around, they're still out cold. Hallelujah. People sometimes will look and say, well, man, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? I, all my life, when people hear about stuff we're going through, they always come, well, Pastor, you must just be totally, totally upset and unable to sleep. No. Well, aren't you upset about, well, I, we don't like it, but that's not what rocks us. We still sleep in the midst of storms. We still have storms. I don't like the storms. Because you get storms. Have you ever noticed your life sometimes gets storms, even when there's zero percent chance of it? <laughs> Learn to be calm. Learn to trust God. 
He's not going to let you die. I mean, we all die, but you know what I mean? In the midst of your thing, I mean, trust God. We need to have some sense of my life has a purpose. I'm here for a reason. If you don't have that, you need to get that. Why are you here? Why does God have you here? I don't know that yet, Pastor. Well, let us help you discover that. You're not going to discover it just sitting in a pew or in a chair every two or three months, one Sunday, whether you need it or not, coming to church. You're not going to find your purpose that way. You need to be here on a regular basis. You need to get involved in life groups and stuff. All of that is to help you connect with God's purpose and vision for your life. Once you get a hold of that purpose and vision for your life, you start sleeping in the midst of the storm. Why? Because you know you're not going to die because your purpose and your vision has not been finished yet. Jesus was not afraid of dying. He knew there's no way he's going to the bottom of the sea. He's the king of, king of kings, lord of lords. He has a destiny. He's going to be the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, dying on that cross. I don't care how big this storm is. He knew this will not end this way for me. Learn to get calm in the midst of the storm. And when you learn to get calm in the midst of the storms, that's when you'll start finding God showing up and telling us, quiet, and things will calm down in your life. Oh, you of little faith, why? Why are you so afraid? It's a normal thing. Life is scary, but there's nothing you can do. I mean, there's danger everywhere. There's people who won't get on a boat like I got because they're afraid of boats. There's people who won't fly in airplanes because they're afraid of airplanes. There's people who won't go anywhere because they're afraid of long trips. There's everything. Their whole life is full of fear. But you can't hide from disaster. I mean, it can get you anywhere. Do you know 15 people every day in America die because of a car? Not of a car wreck because that's way higher. These are pedestrians. These are people walking along the road, minding their own business, 15 a day. Less people than that die on the front lines of Afghanistan every day. Something like 5,000 people a year are killed by cars just walking alongside of the road. So now you got me freaked out. Now I'm not going to walk alongside the road anymore. <laughs> You know, 75 people a day die every day in America in hospitals because of a mistake. Well, I ain't going to hospitals anymore. <laughs> I mean, you start reading statistics, you'll want to hide in the basement until you learn that gases in basements fill up and kill people that way too. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? What do they call that stuff? Radon, radon. So they got radon detectors in the house because they don't want to die in their house. I mean, you know, you, now you want to be smart. When I'm walking along the side of the road, I walk against the traffic and I'm keeping my eyes open because I read them statistics, you know. I don't want somebody to come up behind me and knock me out. But, you know, you know, you want to be careful, as careful as you can be. But goodness gracious, there's no place you can go. At the end of the day, you need to put your trust in God who loves you and cares for you and get a sense of who you are and what he's going to do in your life. And when you get a sense of confidence and a vision of why you're here, you start to be able to sleep in the midst of the storm because you know your destiny has yet to be fulfilled. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your kindness, Lord.
two messages today, Lord. First of all, that oftentimes you will require us things that seem totally reasonable. Sometimes your request will seem very unreasonable, asking us to surrender or let go of things that we hang on to too dearly. But Lord, we need to learn. We need to let go of it all. Everything belongs to you. If we're going to follow you, if we're going to be your disciples, you get to control everything. That's lesson number one. And number two, Lord, help us to realize who we are in you, to get a sense of our purpose on life, not to be driven and motivated and boxed in by fear on every side, but help us, Lord, to realize who you are and who you are in us. And Lord, as much as we do want to see you calm storms in people's lives, my prayer this morning is help us first to learn to be calm in the midst of those storms. Lord, there's people listening to me right now in here, in Appleton, Stevens Point, people on the internet maybe watching us right now. They are in the midst of a horrible storm. They are panicked. They are fear-gripped. They are freaking out. Lord, speak to their hearts this morning. Help them to calm. Help them to relax. Help them to let go, to let God, knowing that that's how we get to real peace. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.